0: Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique, specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class, holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new
1: state-of-the-art Caulfield practice reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr. Raleigh on the socials. Confused about fertility and trying to get pregnant or might want to in the future? Want to know more but don't want to flag it to the world? Welcome to our podcast, Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison. I have no medical background, but I'm a 40-year-old woman who has gone through freezing her eggs. I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Rayleigh Liu, CREI Certified Reproductive Endocrinologist and Infertility Specialist. We started this podcast with the aim to provide easy-to-understand information on hard concepts relating to fertility, infertility, and all aspects of women's health. Today, we're talking about egg freezing in a pandemic – For those of us that are single or in a relationship where we're not sure of the future, it's been a really tough time. And making the decision to freeze your eggs takes time. In many ways, for women, there has never been a better time to take action and press freeze on your fertility clock. Welcome. Now, today's episode is egg freezing in a pandemic. Now, we have spoken about egg freezing before but it was two and a half years ago. We thought we should definitely cover it again. There's also certainly points that are covered in other conversations that we've touched on, and maybe we can go into some more detail. You talk a lot about freezing around the age of 30, freezing at the age of 40. Um, Obviously, we've had the pandemic, and
0: things might have changed in two and a half years. Well, look, things have changed in that we've had a lot more babies from frozen eggs than two and a half years ago, which has been brilliant. Uh, In terms of the demographic of women who are thinking about freezing their eggs, it's also changed. And, you know, one thing that's really, I guess, been life-changing, particularly in the pandemic, is that it's been really hard for singles to socialise and meet people and move forward. So... You know, it's been a struggle, and I just wonder if things will go back to the way that they were before. We did an episode, Jordy, I think, um, probably almost six months ago now, with uh, with Flex Mama, with um, Flex Mummy. Beg your pardon, with Lil. Yes, we did. We were talking about sexuality. We were talking about, you know, kind of how younger people were socialising and dating and having sex and gee things have changed a lot since we did that episode I also thought of that episode because we discussed
1: with Lil how in a way um we are younger for longer and we delay getting married and having children and in many ways that's in every way of life in fact that's absolutely fine except for the fact that whilst we are younger for longer in a way our bodies are not yeah
0: and you know fertility is something that does decline significantly with age and it's something that unfortunately won't wait for a vaccine for a woman you know the fertility decline will happen regardless of what we're allowed to do in our society or what we will now choose to do. It will be interesting to see coming out of stage four lockdown, particularly in Melbourne, you know, what will we do? What, what, how will people meet? How will people date? How,
1: how will you date wearing a mask at 1.5 metres? I... Yeah, and is the casual... I mean, we up? all yeah. want to be chosen for our personalities, but not that much. <laughs> I don't know, Jodie. <laughs>
0: well, I'm saying that and I'm single. <laughs> but look, I think I think it's actually really really, I mean, seriously very important and I think that women really need to contemplate fertility and I think yep. there's no better time to freeze your eggs if you're single and you don't have a plan in the next few years to have a baby and you are around the age of 30. Yeah. Egg freezing is definitely an amazing technology, but it's not a guarantee of having a baby. In the future it's about creating a resource for yourself in case you struggle later on so that you have those younger stronger more potent eggs in the freezer that you can then turn to where your other option is to use an egg donor who is a stranger and there's lots of barriers unfortunately to accessing egg donation in Australia as it stands what many people used to do is fly overseas for an egg donor and even that is becoming very difficult right now Even if you want to spend the money for a commercial egg donation option in an overseas clinic, the travel circumstances, the quarantine, I was told by one patient have added $10,000 to the process compared to what the pre-pandemic costs were for commercial egg donation overseas just because of the quarantine and hotel costs and airfare increased costs. Uh, So, you know, what wasn't an inexpensive option in the past has become even more expensive Uh, for women who do want to seek a donor egg from an overseas clinic. So, look, egg freezing, you know, it's it's all about what goes in is what comes out. You know, egg freezing from the point of view of the egg is a bit of a trauma. The egg has to be frozen, it has to be warmed. And in IVF where we fertilise eggs straight away, the eggs don't have to go through that. So we do always see that from cycles where we freeze eggs, fewer babies amount compared to cycles where the eggs were never frozen. Having said that, with eggs that are frozen for women who don't have underlying infertility, if they freeze at a young age where the eggs are metabolically robust and where they can get a really good number of eggs every cycle, and if they do enough cycles so that they have at least 20 to 30 eggs in the freezer at the end of their egg freezing, then they will have, if they are between... 30 and 35, a more than 80% chance of having one child from those eggs that they have in the freezer, which is pretty spectacular, really. In terms of the more you have, the better, that is definitely the case. And it comes down to a balance as to how much time, effort and money you want to invest in egg freezing compared to considering other options like becoming a single mum by choice. And we could always use donor sperm to assist in that circumstance and you know there's nothing wrong with freezing some eggs if you're doing it younger and then coming back a few years later obviously the eggs will be that little bit older that little bit not quite as strong candidates and you won't be able to make quite as many anymore but you can always add to your kitty of frozen eggs if you haven't had a family so I, I often say to my patients who do want to freeze eggs proactively in their late 20s early 30s rather than putting away two or three cycles now, let's just do a cycle and see how many we get. If we get a good number, you come back and see me in two years if you're not planning a pregnancy and we'll put some more away at that point in time. So it is a a longitudinal strategy. The other good development in egg freezing right now that uh, I draw our listeners' attention to if they're interested is I'm supervising a PhD student and part of an NHMRC-funded project called EggSurance. NHMRC HMRC stands for the National uh, Health and Medical Research Council of Australia. And we have a project going at the moment, which can be accessed at eggfreezing.org.au, which is a decision aid. It's a randomised control study of a decision aid, which is designed to help women think about egg freezing and decide whether they want to. Consider it or not. So if you're on the fence about egg freezing and you're not sure whether you want to do it, you can consider being part of this research and helping us learn more about how women think about egg freezing and also what resources they need to help them make assisted, informed decisions.
1: So maybe even though we have our our other episode, why don't we just quickly recap what happens when you freeze your eggs? In my mind, it's the same as the first two stages of IVF. But let's talk people
0: through. Sure. So look, IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, which is fertilizing eggs outside of the body. So technically... It's not grazing, IVF at all. It isn't IVF at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> you isn't the eggs. You do the, but first, what we do the first same two steps. Exactly. So in order to fertilize eggs in IVF, we first need to take those eggs outside of the body. And we say eggs because in a natural cycle, you'll only ripen one egg most of the time. But there are lots of runners up in the race, lots of other little eggs that put their hand up in that month to be part of a competition where one egg will ultimately be chosen. In the case of fraternal twins, there are cases in nature where two eggs will be equal and they'll, they'll have a, a tie, they'll, they'll draw for the winner. But most of the time, one egg wins and all the other little eggs available in that cycle, unfortunately, have met their, met their, met their doom. <laughs> They die They undergo what's called controlled cell death or atresia. So that is part of how, as a human, we decide to have one baby at a time. It's a selection mechanism and we choose the best egg out of the available batch. The thing is, there's quite a lot of redundancy in, in the system and with IVF and with egg freezing, what we do with medications is we mess with that selection process and we try and encourage the second best egg and the third best egg and the fourth best egg that were available in that cycle to survive also. And we go and get them. And when you think about it like that, it's not a surprise that when we go to fertilize eggs and make embryos in IVF, not every egg will be as good as every other egg. And not every egg will fertilize, not every fertilized egg will make an embryo. And not every embryo will translate to a live birth of a healthy child. So that's why we need to buffer our numbers in egg freezing. In terms of Kind of rough estimates, in a standard IVF cycle, uh, we would expect about one in five eggs collected to translate to a transferable embryo. And the chance of that embryo making a baby is very age dependent. So if you're under 30, the chance of that embryo making a baby is super great, about 50-50, which is amazing, really. Yeah, because nice. you think about the fact we transfer an embryo about 10 days before a missed period. So if if you kind of think about when when it's happening in the context of a natural cycle. So, you know, definitely when people have sex in the natural cycle, embryos are made all the time that don't make it to a pregnancy. So it's not surprising that not every embryo makes a baby. It's got heaps and heaps of really complicated developmental steps to enact correctly in order to go on and, and get to the next stage of a pregnancy. But what we see as we get older, is that fewer and fewer embryos can actually make it to be a baby from the stage of transfer to the point where if you are 40 or above, like you and I, Geordie, it's only a 16% translation in a great lab of embryo transferred to live birth. You know, about 25% of patients at our age who transfer an embryo will get pregnant, but we lose a lot because of miscarriage. And miscarriage becomes more and more common as you get older. So it does take more embryos to make a baby as you get older. And the the main issue there uh, is chromosome errors that happen more and more frequently as we age in embryos. So people are familiar with examples like Down syndrome, but that's actually the very mildest chromosome abnormality that there is. You know, often when we test embryos, we see that they're missing one chromosome, they've got an extra copy of another, you know, kind of they've got three copies of, of one of them all in the one embryo. You know, they might have part of a chromosome deleted in that embryo. It's mistakes that have been made in the cell division process called meiosis, which is really important in in the way that we generate genetic diversity as a species. But um, without going into too much detail, what happens in meiosis is an egg starts out with four times the DNA it's going to give to a baby. It's got the whole copy that we get from each of our parents and it's duplicated it. And then what they do is this thing called crossing over, which is where some chromosomes swap messages with other chromosomes so that they generate a kind of fresh combination where information from each of a woman's parents, I suppose, is mixed up so that when she passes on only half of her DNA to her baby, the other half of the baby's DNA, of course, comes from the sperm, uh, you know, she's getting genetic diversity in that offspring. And that's one of the ways that we as a as species, kind of improve our reproductive health um, and, and fitness. Mm. In terms of what happens in an egg is because it has four times the amount of DNA it's going to pass to a baby, it has to kick out two packages of DNA uh, in asymmetrical cell divisions, and they're called polar bodies. And it does that for the first time at ovulation in a natural cycle. In an IVF or egg freezing cycle, the trigger Medicine, which is the medical ovulation surge, starts that event from happening. or starts it to happen. And then the other time that the extra package of DNA is kicked out is at fertilization. That's when the second polar body is extruded. So the egg, you know, kind of kicks out its extra DNA as the sperm DNA is accepted. So those are the times in a woman's egg's life that serious DNA errors happen. And they happen at the time you use your eggs, not at the time that you make them. So, you know, as we get older, the the metabolic potential of an egg goes down, our metabolism slows in the egg. It packed its little metabolic picnic basket a long time ago, and it's running out of energy. And when we run out of energy, we make mistakes more easily, and so does the egg. So when it has to do those big cell divisions to kick out that extra DNA, it makes mistakes. And it happens more and more, and we see that women, unfortunately, as we get older, um, start to make mistakes in almost one in two embryos when we're thirty-five, and it's actually nine out of ten when we're forty. So it's pretty drastic, really. Uh, and what we do when we freeze eggs is we capture those eggs in on that the of time. yeah on the it's like the day of egg collection when that egg is frozen, and from the egg's point of view, it's the day of egg collection when it's warmed even if they're five years apart. So from a metabolic perspective, yes, the egg has to go through that trauma of freezing and warming. But when they do, they act like fresh eggs at the age that you were when you froze them. So if you freeze them when you're 30, they're going to act like 30-year-old eggs. If you freeze them when you're 37, they're going to act like 37-year-old eggs. And if you're freezing them at 37, you need more because 37-year-old eggs are not as strong candidates as 30-year-old eggs.
1: So, as we know, I froze my eggs at 37 and uh, I did two rounds to make sure I got a good number and uh, I was quite excited that I got I got so many. And I remember saying to you, ah, oh, statistically that means two babies and you said or three or four or none and we all come from one good egg, which I think you say to probably everyone because it's actually really quite reassuring. <laughs>
0: It's true. And I got the most beautiful photo on my Instagram only this week of one of my very gorgeous patients who has really bad endometriosis. And at her surgeries for endometriosis, her, which was way before she was trying to have babies, her egg count was diminished. And I always say it's really important for any patient who has endometriosis, firstly, to have surgery that is fertility sparing. And secondly, you know, don't underestimate the benefit of medical management of endometriosis because if you're one of these people who doesn't want to take hormones and doesn't want to have kind of anything that stops you from cycling, then surgery after surgery after surgery can cause exacerbations of infertility when you have your ovaries injured by surgical heat damage. So really, really important to have a holistic and fertility-focused view of endometriosis especially when treating young women who maybe aren't immediately thinking about having babies. So
1: will we talk through what's involved in freezing eggs? I've done it, but it was three years ago and I don't remember at all. So Raya.
0: At least you're not traumatized by the experience.
1: (laughs) No, I'm not traumatized. And you know what? We in the episode before we recorded this one, we actually we recorded the frequently asked questions. And one of the things we said was about will Radia do my procedures? And I have to and Radia does do your procedures is the quick answer. And I have to say it was very reassuring having you in theatre when I had my procedures done because you are surrounded because it is, it's you are going under a level of Um, sedation it's different for everyone and there's all these people around sticky needles in you and putting things over your face and it's actually really nice that there's this familiar face in the room with you so I remember that bit quite clearly I remember that we I had counselling at that stage we had to have counselling and I don't believe you have to anymore you didn't have to no there's a
0: now now you never you never actually had to have counselling for egg freezing in in terms of accessing counselling. If you feel like you would like to have a formal counselling session with a psychologist, you're it's definitely bio- able to. Mm. But usually what I do is I give my patients the form that has all the information about what's going to happen to the eggs and um, mm. what the legislative requirements are around egg freezing and yeah. they read it. And if they decide they'd like to have a counselling appointment, we organise it. But most patients are really all over it and they just decide they are to now. skip the counselling appointment these days. Yeah. Um, the I information's th- pretty pretty comprehensive.
1: I think also a lot's changed in that time when I froze my eggs. I don't think many people
0: You were an early adopter oh. compared. To- so okay. So what's involved? So, okay. So yeah, you have so a blood look, test.
1: Exactly. Like with IV, yeah. like if I fertility treatment, you'd have a blood test and Yeah, am AMA. The AMH, right. So uh, now I remember I asked my GP for a referral for the AMH to, for the pathology slip before I came to see you. And she, her, I thought she was very good now that I know what I know, uh, especially I thought she was very good because she said to me, I'm happy for you to take this test. Who will be counselling you through the results? Which I thought yeah. was a very good response. So and then I said it was you and she was like, oh, great. So I got my results, which were normal. Uh,
0: lower side are normal
1: and you kept saying no no they're normal they're normal Um,
0: and that's important actually because a lot of the time you know people forget that normal is a range it's not like a number and it's a really big range it's a really big range so if you think of it I, I use the analogy of bra size or I use the analogy of clothes size because people understand that there's average and then there's you yeah and even if you're above or below the average no average would be what a size fourteen. You twelve b. Twelve yeah,
1: b. Twelve okay. b. And let me tell you now, as someone who has spent far too much of their career learning doing things with bras, no one is a twelve b.
0: Well, there you go. So you know, it's averages are just taking the whole population and drawing a line right down the middle of the spread. Yeah. And so, not everyone. It has to be average. no I think of myself as a probably below average athlete and hopefully above average doctor I can
1: can attest she is a below average athlete
0: definitely (laughs) and below average cook but I would say Geordie you're an above average
1: cook thanks that's my thing so bras and cooking so really yeah let's go back Okay, so you've had your AMH test, you're speaking to you, the fertility specialist, and the fertility specialist is going to come up with a plan based on your AMH and knowing about the person on what's the best way to go about getting the maximum result from egg freezing.
0: Yeah, and look, an ultrasound's important because I, I a pelvic, oh, pelvic I had an ultrasound too. Very yes. important because we firstly we like to time it in the ideal world when those little eggs are starting to compete with each other. So just after the period, and we do a measurement called the antral follicle count. And that also helps us kind of counsel a a patient realistically as to how many eggs she might expect to be able to achieve in one treatment. And it also is really important just to make sure egg collection is, you know, going to be safe and that it's not going to be more difficult than anticipated. So I want to know the anatomy is normal or if it's not normal, I want to know in what way it's not kind of normal. If there's a big fibroid or if there's a, a big ovarian cyst, maybe we want to deal with that first to make sure that everything's going to be as straightforward as possible. So in terms of uh, accessing the ovary safely for egg collection, uh, which is pretty much assessed by ultrasound because we do an egg collection by ultrasound. When I do an egg collection, the process is you use medication for about 10 to 14 days on average. Again, some for a little bit longer, some respond faster. I would say very few patients would have less than you know, kind of a week of medication um, before egg collection. Most take about roughly kind of seven to, to 12 days of medication. And we when Aurelia says take medication, they... this is injection. Yeah, so it's it's your, injection into your tummy.
1: Yes, yeah. look, it's, which you, it's which those... seems scary, but actually once you learn really to inject yourself then. in the tummy, yeah. it's
0: really easy. It's yeah. not tricky. It's not tricky. It, it doesn't really hurt. It's the idea of it that people don't like. but the Oh, it's
1: very weird It doesn't,
0: the, doesn't, doesn't yeah. hurt too much at all. Now, I always say anyone who has had a bikini wax finds these kind of injections a walk in the park. It oh, it's really absolutely the effect. mental thing. The actual giving them yeah. is, is not a big deal.
1: Right, so you've, done yeah. all your, you've taken all your medication.
0: You've done your medication and during that time we're watching you with ultrasound and we're just checking yep. to see that the follicles, which are the structures that contain the eggs, are growing and they're responding nicely hormonally. And we want to make sure that you're ready for your egg collection uh, when we schedule it. So we Mm -hmm. will have a degree of flexibility around that. The annoying part of that is that you won't have a whole heap of advance notice. You know approximately when it will fall, but you'll probably only have a couple of days notice before the egg collection as to when it will be. Use the trigger medication with usually about a 36, 37-hour coast. Yeah. Time between when you take the trigger and when you have your procedure.
1: and and I think I think my trigger was an injection, but a lot of people it's nasal.
0: Uh, I made that up. No, no, we um, you can there. There is a drug called Sineral that you can That's give. That's one a, I'm thinking of. A nasal, a nasal trigger, but I tend to use the injection trigger. It's more okay. reliable. Mm. It's more reliable and probably less expensive. But anyway. there's there's actually many different triggers you can use in IVF so it's one of those things where a cycle is usually something I plan individually it's not like every single patient has the same medication yes and in terms of choosing the trigger for a patient I want to choose the trigger that's going to reduce the risk of hyperstimulation syndrome which is really the the main concern with egg freezing or IVF when they're trying to go for high numbers in a cycle, which I always am with egg freezing if I can, I always want to get as many eggs as possible for a patient. And I do choose drugs very carefully to keep the patient safe while achieving that goal simultaneously. Uh, and it is very different from IVF because in IVF, when we stimulate the ovary, we also often want to try and get the patient pregnant in the same month. So we have to think not only how am I going to stimulate the ovary, but... Also, I have to preserve the environment for healthy implantation and a healthy pregnancy. And often it's a compromise. You don't want to go for too many eggs in that context. Whereas with egg freezing, I know I'm not trying to get my patient pregnant in that month. And I design a cycle very differently because I want to get (laughs) as many eggs as I can so that that cycle is cost effective for my patient. And also in terms of treatment, clinically effective, that it creates the best chance for her to have a baby in the future from that cycle. It's also important to recognise that not every follicle that we see on ultrasound will translate to an egg found. The Mm eggs are microscopic. They're very tiny. And as we said, not every egg is as good as every other egg. Sometimes we collect an egg and it's immature. It hasn't done that kind of chucking out of that extra package of DNA effectively. It's made a mistake. Sometimes we find an egg and it's degenerating, which means that over the years it started to lose its integrity and decompose. And sometimes we find an egg and we see what's called empty cumulus, which means the outer levels of the egg, the outer layers are still there, but the egg inside has already decomposed or degenerated. So, you know, remember we make all our eggs when we're in utero. If you do an ultrasound of a baby when they're in their mother's tummy and you look at that baby's ovaries. You know, they've already got every egg that that woman, that girl, that baby, that girl child will have for her lifetime. Which is crazy. At that time, it's
1: crazy so to think you're carrying, carrying your anymore. grand your grandchildren.
0: Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, in terms of um, in terms of that, it's one of those things that not every follicle that we see on ultrasound will translate to an egg in the freezer, and as well as that, not every egg that goes in the freezer is going to come out okay. We lose about 10 to 20%. So, you know, we don't see those outcomes until we go to use them. So we have to buffer. So I think one of the reasons that my patients are so effective historically in having had babies from their frozen eggs is that I counsel very realistically and I encourage them to put enough in the freezer to give them a absolute kick-ass chance of having a baby when they come back because that's what I want from them. So so, it is very important. to in a strong lab as well. I mean, Melbourne IVF is an yeah. amazing laboratory and has been freezing eggs for over 30 years, even when it was considered completely experimental. And, um, you know, that, that is important because, you know, the techniques used for egg freezing will impact the outcomes when the eggs come out of the freezer.
1: So you've had your trigger and you get given your time of retrieval. And then a couple of days later, you go in for your retrieval. What happens?
0: So, look, let's talk about some tips for egg collection day. So this is for IVF as well. So look, get plenty of sleep, drink plenty of water the day before because you're going to have to fast for your egg collection and it's good not to be dehydrated. Uh, and you also take the you day off. You're not the going back to work afterwards.
1: Take the next day off. Take the next take day off. Two days definitely. I healthy. would absolutely suggest that. Especially and if you're, you're egg freezing and you make a lot left. of eggs, you'll be sore.
0: Yeah, you just need to take it easy. You won't be in, in terrible pain, but you will be sore. And the more eggs collected, as a rule of thumb, the sore you are the next day. Yeah. And you definitely need to take pain relief. Don't be stoic. It is absolutely necessary. And if you take just Panadol by the clock, you know, every kind of six to eight hours, you'll feel so much better than if you don't. And it's actually one of these things that pain in the pelvis... It's so much harder to play catch-up than it is to keep on top of. So, you know, by using that regular analgesia, even very simple analgesia like Panadol, you really feel a hell of a lot better. And by not overdoing it, you feel a hell of a lot better. Mm. I had a patient recently who was unpacking boxes. She was fine. She felt great after her egg collection. She went home, she was unpacking boxes, and she felt terrible and had to call an ambulance. Mm. You know, and then, you know, but... Everything was fine. She was fine. They checked her over and she was fine. But the thing is, you know, this is something that you need to understand is a medical procedure. Even though you can't see any cuts on your tummy because there are none, you've had an operation and you need to take it easy.
1: You go in for your procedure for your egg retrieval. You go into a day hospital and you wait a bit for your time to go in
0: yeah and i come and say hi and the annie come comes and say hi and we can send you again on paper for the procedure and ask if you have any questions So think of your questions um my advice is wear stretchy pants not leggings wear slip-on shoes something that's easy to get in and out of after will so mm. be a little bit tender and I have someone to hang out with you in the afternoon very important because you all have had anesthetic medications Obviously can't drive yourself home, absolute no-no, and you should not make any important decisions or sign any legal documents when you've had a conscious sedation anaesthetic, because you might not have uh, your full memory with you that whole day. So often when I come and I talk to patients after their procedure, I give them a little bit of information, but they often don't 100% remember what I've said, so I ask them to make a follow-up appointment with me and uh, go through it again in more detail. So I, usually, I often do send a little text message just to remind them to do that because it's always good to have a debrief and a powwow after the first egg collection. And then we decide if we want to do it again because, like you, Geordie, a lot of people don't get as many eggs in one go as I would ideally like them to have in the freezer. And we often do do this over a couple of months, over a couple of treatments, not necessarily yeah. back-to-back, but it can be, but it doesn't have to be.
1: Yeah, I think I had two months in between. So you go in for your procedure. You speak to the anaesthetist. Yeah. You
0: speak to Raylia, yeah. and then you get. So you go into theatre. Yeah, you go. You actually walk. You walk into theatre, Jordy. Can you walk I don't remember. Theater? I can't remember. You walk into theatre and you jump on the bed. It's, there it's not far you're
1: just, you're... at East Melbourne. If you're at East Melbourne Day Hospital, it's really not very far. <laughs> you go
0: into the theatre. You the first thing you notice when you go into theatre is a lot of people in the theatre. Yes. And um, and that I would say, say if
1: that whole, is something important, you're not. If you've not had an operation before or a procedure before, it does freak you out a bit that there are so many people all in PPA. I suppose now we're a bit more used to PPA because of the pandemic, but three years ago we were not used to people in PPA. And, and you walk into the room and there's all these people in there and you lie down and...
0: Yeah, so I'll tell you who's in the room. So basically... Oh, that's good. Yes, tell us who's there. There's the, there's the anaesthetic doctor. There's the anaesthetic nurse who assists the anaesthetic doctor. And they're very important in terms of keeping you asleep and comfortable and safe. Then there's usually a couple of other nursing staff in the theatre, usually three. Uh, There's usually a scrub nurse, so a nurse who is sterile, a scout nurse who is helping the nurse who is in sterile gear get all the sterile things that she needs. And there's often another nurse, clerking the operation so kind of you know documenting what's going on then there's also the theatre tech who's basically the person who helps me get everything technical that I need sorted like the ultrasound monitor where I want it the bed at the right height that I want it positioning the patient um for me kind of doing a little bit of the um kind of um heavy lifting I suppose of the theatre you know moving in equipment and things like that then in the corner, there is the little lab booth, and in the lab booth is the embryologist. And what happens to come into theatre? And I know this must seem weird to patients, but it's very standard theatre procedure. And even though we've just checked you into hospital, we again ask you to tell us your full name, your date of birth, and your address and your demographics. And we yes. check your hospital ID number to make sure that the right person for the right operation. And we also check your drug chart history and make sure that you don't have any allergies to medications that we don't know about or unaware about. And then we also check the consent form that it's the right operation that you've consented to before you go to sleep. And then once I've done all of that, I check it off also against your IVF paperwork. So it's really important, as you can imagine, in any kind of IVF egg freezing scenario that we have the right eggs for the right person labelled correctly. And we are totally obsessed about that. Very importantly, we never want to make any kind of mistake about that. So all the dishes that your eggs will go into have your name and date of birth on them and they have your specific ID on them. And they also are electronically barcoded as well. And all your paperwork does have all those identifiers on it as well. And then both myself and the embryologist go over in the corner and double check that everything's correct. And then there's also a little... Computer system that also triple checks it with a barcode rating from those dishes. So there ain't no way, no how we're going to stuff up on those eggs going to the wrong person. And we're going to know they're yours. And there's never going to be any question about that in our lab. So once that's all done, usually while I'm off checking the dishes and your paperwork with the embryologist, uh, usually you are starting to go off to sleep. The anesthetic doctors put a cannula in, which is a drip. It's just a little needle in the back of your hand often. Often they're going very quickly and easily. If you're someone who hates needles, you maybe want to put a bit of Emla cream on before you come. It's a little bit of numbing cream that you can buy from the chemist. Um, or you can ask for that in the initial admission phases. But most people are fine with a cannula. And then the ana- anaesthetic doctor gives you something to make you relaxed and puts you off to sleep. And literally the whole procedure takes me half an hour. So what I do while you're sleeping is I use an ultrasound. I put significant pressure on the ovary to really minimise the distance between the vaginal wall and the ovary. And under vision with a, what we call ultrasound lucent, which means I can see it on ultrasound needle, that's a very fine needle, I put that needle into each little follicle of the ovary and I drain the fluid in the follicle. Now the eggs are microscopic. You know, we say they're more than 100 times smaller than a poppy seed. And it's not something you can see with the naked eye and not something you can see on the ultrasound. So what I'm looking for when I'm draining those follicles is that I'm draining every tiny little drop of fluid from the follicle. And I do that both visually by ultrasound feedback and I also do it through this system where there's a little tube connected to the needle and it goes to a sealed tube on a test tube. And I see the fluid going into the test tube and when it stops flowing under pressure, I know that follicle collapsed and empty and I move on to the next follicle and I drain every follicle that's worthwhile draining so every follicle that's greater than 10 millimeters and then I go to the other side and do the other ovary as well and that's the procedure then after we've completed that procedure I continue the ultrasound for a moment and also puts a little bit of pressure on where we've popped the needle through the vaginal wall to make sure there's no bleeding and once I'm satisfied that everything's stable then the procedure's over The anaesthetist works you up. All of those little test tubes go over to the scientists and they look at them, examine them under a microscope and search for your eggs. And then the eggs go up to the lab. In the lab, they're dissected, meaning the outer fluffy layers are removed, and they are vitrified, which is the very fast way of freezing eggs, where we first bathe the eggs in different solutions and cryoprotectants so that we remove all the water content the eggs and protect them against the trauma of freezing and then we freeze them very very quickly in liquid nitrogen and that process is called vitrification which comes from the word vitris which means glass in latin so we create a glass like state a snap frozen state and um, then the eggs stay in that state in suspended animation until we want to use them and they don't age a day they don't age a day it's amazing So from your perspective, what happens next is you wake up and you're in the anaesthetic bay and it really feels like from when you went to sleep to when you're in the bay, nothing has happened. It feels like a moment in time. Yeah, nothing. And the whole experience has no no bearing on your conscious. You have no memory of it.
1: Absolutely none, none at all. Um, Yeah, you wake up. So I had it done twice. The first time I had general and the second time I had sedation and so I felt better the second time than the first time and on my hand you'd written how many eggs had been collected now I that's know that my party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do that. and I know that though that's not the number that gets frozen that's the number that was collected because they get checked by the embryologist and then the, only the good ones get frozen is that right that's
0: right and it takes a couple yeah. of hours to know that for sure
1: yeah, so I lost a few, but not, not many, like less than 10%. And then you go and you sit in a on a couch in a little space with everyone else yeah, who's so just make come sure out. You're
0: comfortable. We want to watch you. We want to make sure that you're comfortable, that you're not in too much pain. you know, just you're some giving them some mood. snacks. Make and sure you can eat and drink. Some, yeah. sure yeah. you're and not nauseous.
1: Yeah, and then once it's okay, you go home. And I remember um I was the second time I was close to going into hyperstimulation I remember I was sore beforehand and I was very sore afterwards um but both times I took painkillers and I went home and went to sleep and um my mum was there so that I wasn't alone and I was absolutely fine after
0: yeah, Jodie, you were never going to get hyperstimulation. I but, know, I just you know, was like, the thing is, I was sore. Draw, yeah. I dry, I, I'm a hard task masker. I go for a lot of eggs. I know. Unapologetically. And you probably feel <laughs> a little bit more rubbish for one day because of that. But, that was, you know, these cycles are expensive. They're you know, so they're expensive.
1: Rubbish. It is cheaper so, now than it was when I did it.
0: But it's expensive. Yeah, and, and all the drugs to get and the time. Value for the yeah. You need to get the good value for the patient. Yeah. And, and I'd much rather you have one day where you're a little bit more uncomfortable than you get half the number of eggs, which is what yeah. another... And, I, and
1: the pain wasn't unbearable by any means. Um, I get bad period pain and I'd probably say it's something like that. Um, but it was just, I do, I do remember that. But then I was, and then you deflate. So that's the one thing that we haven't talked about is you tend to gain a bit yeah. of weight and it's not
0: weight it's fluid it's fluid whatever you get fatter well, you might you might you might notice it, <laughs> because it is fluid yep. but it's not fat So basically no. what happens it's like when you ovulate I don't know if you notice this about yourself when you ovulate I definitely notice it about myself is that you do retain fluid and that's when you make one natural follicle so if mm. you make 20 you know then you're going to feel Pretty you definitely important.
1: you pu- you pu- you puff up. You definitely puff up, and then really not long after days, you deflate. Basically, is yeah, the best way I can put
0: we, it. We use a, an agonist trigger in egg freezing for a lot of patients. I used an agonist trigger for you, and it would be considered best practice for most patients with a regular cycle to use a GnRH agonist trigger, that is really our best defense against hyperstimulation. And it's really the only tool we have in a GnRH antagonist style cycle to go for a high number of eggs and avoid hyperstimulation at the same time. And so what happens with that kind of trigger? Uh, it might be Cynarell, it might be Lucrine, it might be Decapeptol. There's several different brands and several different cousins, I suppose, that you can use. I think I had Lucrine. Yeah, so with those kind of triggers, you have a period pretty quickly as well, in about a week, and your fluid all comes out in about a week. I don't remember and that at you all. Go back I just to normal remember. super quickly. I just remember
1: my first cycle was just before my sister's wedding, and um, I remember seeing my auntie and my sister like four days before the wedding, and both of them were like, oh, thank goodness you've lost weight, which was so beautifully supportive of them. And all that had happened was that I had inflated when freezing my eggs and I deflated once it was over.
0: Yeah, that's pretty normal. That's pretty normal. It's normal to be a bit a bit um, bloated the day after your egg collection and it's normal for it to take a few days for that to come down and that's not hyperstimulation. Yeah. It's just the physiological response to the medication. Yeah,
1: that was it. And then I really haven't... Um Thought about it since I pay. That's the one thing. So then you have to pay for the storage of your eggs. So I think it's two hundred and fifty dollars every six months. Like it's annoying, but in the scheme of things, it's it's really nothing. It is my is my view. Not that I'm unaware of the money coming out, but I think in the long term investment, it's it's really small.
0: I think an important thing to say is that the storage fees are not linked to how many eggs are in the freezer. So no, everyone pays the same part of it. So it, it's definitely worth the effort to put as many eggs as is ideal if possible in the freezer uh, because it doesn't affect the long-term cost, but it does affect your chance of ultimately having a baby from those frozen yeah. eggs.
1: They're so tiny. They're all in a test tube regardless of how, how many.
0: Now that's a, that's I... they straws. They were in straws, but They're in little straws. They're individually in little straws. Yeah. Wow.
1: Sealed and that's it.
0: And I haven't thought about it since,
1: because I haven't needed well, them yet. Hopefully,
0: one day you might come and use them. <laughs> yes, For the well, that's on. That's the plan. So failure. Yeah. So that's egg freezing in a nutshell. So, look, why would you do it in a pandemic? Look, firstly, you were, you weren't allowed to when surgeries were limited. You are allowed to freeze your eggs now. And you know, I think from patients that I've spoken to many many times over the years that there is a big lag time from when someone first thinks about egg freezing to when they actually do it Uh, my personal viewpoint would be that my patients never regret freezing their eggs and many are very very happy that they did that have come back to use them and use them successfully in terms of the take-home message it's what goes in is what comes out the younger you do it the better a resource you create and the more useful your eggs are likely to be to you and I would say that if you are single and you don't have it on the horizon to have a baby and you're not in the mind space headset or um, really kind of I guess opportunity you don't have the opportunity because of worrying financial times to start a family as a single mum by choice immediately then you know think about it if a really strong option these days. It's been non-experimental since 2012 and it's all about the timing and the number. So you just need some personalised advice. It's good to check out what your own account is so you know what it's likely to be over the next few years. It doesn't say anything about immediate fertility if you have a low amh you can have a a lower spectrum ovary and still be perfectly fertile Mm -hmm. but what it does say to you if you do have a lower amh is that as you do get older as all women do and as your fertility declines with age as affects every single woman having a low egg count does put you at a disadvantage in the context of what technologies are able to do to help you because one of the ways that ivf helps older women is by asking ovaries to work harder and make as many eggs as possible. So if you're someone who it's predictable in 3 or 4 years' time is not going to be able to make many eggs at all because your ovaries are lower functioning ovary, then at that point in time when you do have age-related fertility issues per egg, IVF doesn't offer you very much at all and you're more likely to need a donor egg from someone else. So, you know, women in that circumstance are often, you know, really happy if they freeze their
1: eggs definitely I I think um, even if I don't use them obviously I hope to use them I I still think it was definitely the right decision and it did take me time to agree to do it like you asked me I don't know know, at least six months before I decided to um, but it's definitely a decision I'm glad I made
0: so egg freezing in a pandemic
1: something to think about especially now we all can again
0: Absolutely. And if you decide you would like to freeze your eggs, uh, I can usually, from, if, we, if we do a few investigations to start with like your AMH and some screening blood tests and an ultrasound, I can usually, if you are suitable for treatment, get you into an egg freezing cycle within two to four weeks from when I first see you. If
1: I and I think that's something to keep in mind as well, is if you aren't sure about egg freezing, it's probably, I would say, it's still worth undergoing the investigations because then you need to know more about the process and you have that information to take away and think about while you decide what to do, as opposed to not really being sure about your case specifically.
0: It's just like we said, Jordy. not everyone's average. Yeah. But yeah, you, okay. do need, you do need personalised advice and counselling when it comes to considering your fertility. Thank you so much,
1: Ralia. We'll put the link to our episode from two and a half years ago and I look forward to your comments on how terrible the quality was because it can't have been good.
0: <laughs> well, we were very amateur when we started the podcast. You know, this podcast has been our passion project and we started it basically at my house with two microphones. Actually, I think we started it with one microphone. We started with originally. one. We, ha- we handed and each other the up. microphone. Yes. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So no, we just we just did it. We were on the see one do one teach one kind of model, weren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> and we got there. Look at
1: us now. So thank you so much. Speak to you soon.